And today I want to talk to you about breaking bad habits. We're going to wrap it up with breaking bad habits. We've been using this verse from Romans, and I'm so grateful for this verse because it's like God gave us, <laughs> it's like he just gave us some grace in this verse. Because Paul, we think of Paul many times as this super apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, planted most of the churches single-handedly, and we go, man, Paul's so awesome. Right? How many of you, when you read about Paul, you kind of go, man, Paul's awesome. Is anybody reading about Paul? Because nobody raised your hands. You reading your Bible? <laughs> okay. <laughs> then raise your hand. <laughs> but we get this insight to where Paul is. And I'm so grateful because it makes me feel good. You ever, you ever get around somebody and they tell you their struggles? And then you kind of go, dang, that makes me feel good. I'm not the only one. Okay. Maybe not. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. The title of my message today is Fire Your Autopilot. You need to fire your autopilot today. We live in a, in a world that is becoming more automated, right? You can press a button, swipe a card, go through this machine, and it washes your car. It even puts Armorall on your tires. Come on. You can even buy a car today that keeps you between the lines, and if you get too close to somebody, it'll slow you down. And then when they get enough distance between, they'll speed you back up. I'm not kidding you. It was the craziest thing. Me, Pastor Josh, and Pastor Zach went on this trip to, uh, to uh, uh, San, past San Antonio, Harker Heights, Texas. And we rented, it was hilarious. You should have seen this. We rented a car. And I guess Pastor Zach didn't tell them the size of the people in the car. We ended up in a Nissan Sentra. You want to talk about circus bear, you should have seen me getting in and out of this Nissan Sentra. But it was nice. It was new, had all the latest features. So we're driving, and Pastor Zach, I don't know why we let Pastor Zach drive, but he's driving, and the grace of God was over us. And he's driving, and, and he, he puts it on cruise, and then he starts getting frustrated because as soon as it gets a little bit close to the car in front of it, it starts to slow down. He's like, what's going on with this cruise? And he goes, this is really cool. He let go of the wheel, and it would kind of go from lane to lane. And you're like, whoa. I said, don't you dare fall asleep. Don't you dare. But our life has become automated, right? It takes, it takes our influence out of it. Your air conditioner can set the temperature for you. My wife literally, if she gets hot in the middle of the night, you could, when you get older, ladies, you're going to have hot flashes. Just a little teachable moment. Um, <laughs> She, she can, if she gets hot at the middle of the night, she reaches over, grabs her phone, and goes, doop, doop, and the whole house gets cooler. And everybody else in the house covers up more, except her, right? But we live in this automated world. And today I want to encourage you to fire your autopilot. Because though things that are automated can be a blessing, they can also be a curse. How many of you would agree with that? And what we need to do, and my challenge for you today is to hit the override button. We need to hit override. What does that mean, Pastor? That means simply this. You need to take back control over the systems in your life that lead to continual bad habits. 
How many of you, you don't realize you got a bad habit until the first of the year? How many of you don't even think about your habits until the first of the year? That's because you've been on autopilot. So let's talk about the difference between good habits and bad habits. Here's what I find amazing about habits. Good habits are very challenging on the front end, right? Come on, to get me back in the gym is going to take an act of God. I mean, it's, it's like challenging. I don't like the gym. I hate the gym. Spend too much time in the gym. It's painful. It's challenging on the front end. Right? But somewhere in the future, there's going to be some satisfaction and some rewards. Come on. To put down the cold drinks, to put down the sweets is challenging at first, but then eventually it leads to satisfaction and rewards. Bad habits are the opposite. Think about this. Bad habits are gratifying and satisfying on the front end. But then when you get caught up in the bad habit, you have a tough time and the challenges is on the back end of how you're going to get out of this thing. I know from my own experience, when I'm being tempted to sin, there's some crazy stuff that goes on. And, 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 and I'm, but my desire is, like, oh, I got to satisfy the flesh. And so, so then I, I make the decision to do it and I get immediate satisfaction. Like, ah. But then comes the challenging part on the backside because now I've got guilt, shame, condemnation, uh, embarrassment, whatever it may be for us. We got to, ch- that's the challenge on the back end. So now I'm trying to get out of this junk I just created. Does that make sense? I think it's better to be challenged on the front end and get a reward than to be challenged on the back end after you've already rewarded yourself. Make sense? So there's a big difference between good habits and bad habits. Good habits are tough going in, but bad habits are tough getting out. How many of you know sin can be fun? If you believe that, raise your hand. How many of you would agree sin is fun? If you didn't raise your hand, you probably didn't sin right, or you just, you're lying. You need to go do, no, I'm just. But sin is fun. Let's, let's be honest. Let's be real. Sin is fun. It's very gratifying. It's very satisfying on the front end. But then the repercussions on the back end is what stinks. Paul said something about this in Ephesians. Listen to this, chapter 4. It says, since, we, since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. We could preach a message just from that verse. But in short, he's saying you need to separate, you need to let go of, you need to let it die, everything from your previous life, and you need to take on this new life that God's producing in you that's going to start to look like him. (laughs) Okay, it's better to look like God than to look like you. It's better to act like God than to act like you. I'm agreeing with you. That's Paul's challenge to us. So here's the truth for you. You cannot defeat what you cannot define. We've said that several times in this series. You cannot defeat what you cannot define. In other words, if you don't take some time and do some self-examination, then you're not even knowing what's going on inside of you. 
Come on, give me, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. If you don't take a moment to, to question what you're feeling, what you're thinking, how things are going for you, if you don't start to examine yourself, then you're going to live in this perpetual foolishness that you think that everything's fine. Just because it looks good on the outside don't mean it's sweet on the inside. Come on, somebody. Right? But we need to take some time to evaluate ourselves, to process that sometimes you got to bring some other people in that are good at that kind of stuff that you trust that are godly people that can bring in some help for you, right? Because you need to define what your problem is. You need to define what your bad habit is. You need to define what your struggle is. So then you can defeat it. I think Apple did a pretty amazing thing. I think it's going to backfire on them. Apple, if you notice on your Apple phone, you get a notification now of how much screen time you use. I, I'll be honest with you, I was in denial. I was, I'm honest, I went into this thing like a fool. I was a hop. Oh, I'm going to show my wife. She tells me I'm always on my phone. She's tripping. I'm going to prove it to her. Now I got somebody keeping record. I pulled it up and went, oh, ain't showing her nothing. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? It's amazing. So in week one, I asked you to make some good habits, write down some missing habits, and to even start to think about some of your bad habits. Today I want to give you three categories of habits real quick. The first category is annoying habits. There's always these annoying habits. Come on, somebody. Uh, interrupting people while they're talking. Yeah, you might find yourself. You can make a little noise if that's you. Procrastinating. Cussing. Complaining. Staying up late. This one really gets me texting and driving there's nothing that brings out oh, my anger than somebody sitting at a green light and at nights it's worse because you can see the glow right and you're behind them you're like you're a pastor in town keep it under control your kids are watching beep beep come on i'm, I'm being for real y'all pray for me That's annoying habits. Then we can have addictive habits. Sugar. Yeah, I said it. Nicotine, drugs, prescription drugs, gambling, alcohol, video games, phone, social media or Netflix, overspending, overeating, addictive habits that need to be broken. Uh, and then the third category is hidden habits. Uh, these are such habits as pornography, uh, cutting bulimia, very serious habits, right? Based on who you want to become, what is the one habit you need to break? I would encourage you to write that down in your notes right now. What habit needs to break in your life? What habit needs to change in your life? So when it comes to habits, there's these things that we call triggers. There's things that trigger certain behavior, and then they, it triggers the behavior, and then we act on it, and then we get to experience it, right? How many of you know there's certain things that'll, I just shared one of mine with you. If, if, if I'm going to fall into anger, if I'm going to walk in, if, if I'm going to be angry, let me stop trying to butter it up. If I'm going to get angry, all I got to do is sit behind somebody at the red light that's texting and it turns green, right? That's my trigger. Traffic can be a trigger for me sometimes. 
we have triggers. We all have triggers. Uh, let me give you four major triggers. Number one, the first major trigger can be a place. Uh, it can be somewhere that you feel comfortable doing your bad habit. Uh, nobody pigs out at the gym. Come on. Nobody smokes pot at church. At least you shouldn't. <laughs> it's the place. I, I don't sneak extra food in front of my wife, okay? So let me, I'm just going to be real honest. This is like fresh confession this morning. <laughs> I, I like my wife's cooking a lot. And so if I'm going to overeat, I don't go fix another plate and sit down in front of her. I go when I know she's got some food left on her plate. I'm very strategic. And I go to the kitchen and I act like I'm putting my plate up and I'm digging out the pot. <laughs> Come on, anybody else got a struggle? Huh? Come on, can I get a witness? All right, one or two. Good, it's confirmed. <laughs> I don't overeat in front of my wife. Why? Because she going to tell me something. You know, your pants ain't going to fit tomorrow. We don't do drugs in front of our kids. We do it when they're not around. We don't watch porn with the family. <laughs> you better not watch porn with the family. Right? There's always a place. And listen to me, I know we're cutting up a little bit, but you got to get real serious with yourself for a moment. There is a place, and you know this, there is a place where you struggle the most. There is a place where nobody else is watching. And I want to make you aware of it today because we need to safeguard our lives. The second major trigger is time. Time can be a trigger uh, too much of it or not enough of it can be a trigger to some of us. King David, who was said in the Bible, is a man after God's own heart, had some triggers. Uh, watch this in 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is, I, I believe this is one of his most embarrassing moments as a man of God. It says this, chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, it says, In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war. So it's springtime. I guess the kings would stay home during the winter. But it's springtime, the kings would normally go out to war. It says this, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. He stayed home. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem late one afternoon. I don't know what it is about late. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, which I think is hilarious. She's in a bath, and her name is Bathsheba. I just think she was destined to get in trouble. She should have took a shower. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam. And the wife of Uriah the Hittite, then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her and the rest was downhill. You see, David wasn't necessarily a bad guy. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. That's hard for me to wrestle with sometimes. Can I just be honest with you? Because if I do bad, I think I am bad. Right? David, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, but he slept with somebody and then had her husband killed. That's not permission for us to leave church and go get crazy. That's for us to realize how much God knows about us and how much God loves us. 
But David wasn't necessarily a bad person. David was, was, was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? Which caused him to see something he shouldn't have seen, which led him to do something he shouldn't have done, which ended up costing him more than he ever wanted to pay. You see, that's what sin doesn't tell you on the front side. It doesn't tell you that it's expensive. It tells you, and it gets the desire to fulfill this fleshly lust so granulous, so, I mean, so grandiose, whatever the day going word is. What? Big and beautiful. I mean, it just, it makes it grand. Like, like I'm going to satisfy this thing. Right? It just shows up like bluebell don't taste good like it used to. It's like drugs. The first time it was fabulous. The hundredth time it does, it's not as good. But I'm looking for the first time. Sin says this desire fulfilled is going to be so good. So good. That you'll forget about the consequences of it. It doesn't advertise, hey, I'm expensive. I may cost you your marriage. You may lose a child. It doesn't advertise that, does it? David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Temptation magnifies the desire and it minimizes the destruction. But I got good news for you. The Bible tells us what to do with that. 2 Timothy 2.22. You ought to be able to remember this. 2.2.2.2. It says this. Run away from anything. Say anything. That stimulates youthful lust. What are we supposed to do when temptation comes? Run! Forest, run! Right? When temptation comes, run! So, well, Pastor, well, I, I know what some of you are thinking. I know your, your mind. You're going, well, so, okay, so how do we run? Fast! Run fast! Fast as you can. Right? Run fast. Get out. Stand up. Call somebody. Put your phone down. You got to disrupt the pattern in your life. That's what fasting and praying does. It disrupts this pattern in my life. I love eating. I can eat like clockwork. Morning, noon, and supper. Morning, noon, and evening. Oh, man. And catch a snack in between. And I got this pattern in my life, and it's not good because I'm not eating. I need to disrupt that pattern. Amen? Run. Run. Time. Don't give it more time than it needs. You see, we got to be careful with our time. If your issue is when you're all by yourself, you're responsible to realize that. It's your responsibility to realize, you know what, I don't do good when I'm by myself. Then you need to safeguard your life from that. Amen? Trusting God to heal you, trusting God to protect you, and then trusting God to strengthen you. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed, so that we can pray for one another and we may be healed, right? The enemy wants you not to confess so that you'll stay broken. Is this making sense? Got to be careful with our time. If you don't do good after the whole family's gone to bed, go to bed with the family. 
But Pastor, I can't fall asleep. Take a melatonin. <laughs> Change the pattern in your life. Number three, moods. Moods can be a trigger. Uh-oh, stirred something up. Moods can be a trigger. You're more vulnerable when you're in a certain mood. Hungry, angry, combine them, it's called hangry. Lonely, tired, stressed. Watch, I'm going to throw this one at you. Happy. Oh, what's up, my pastor? Happy? Is it a trigger? Yep. It's a trigger for me. So if I'm hungry, and you know, you know this to be true, anytime you set a goal to lose weight, to get in shape, what happens? Every flipping commercial is about food. McDonald's never looks so good as when it does on the commercial. Isn't it amazing? People walk up and offer you donuts. Like when I'm not on a donut, when I'm not on a diet, nobody offers me nothing. But as soon as I get on a diet, here comes the donuts. Right? The temptation when I'm hungry. When I'm hangry, <laughs> this, this one's real, y'all. Can I just be honest? When I'm hungry, I get angry. One day I went, dang, when my stomach's empty, people don't like me. It's a problem. I need to own this. So now if I go to the house and Cheryl doesn't have supper prepared, I, I, just, I just keep my mouth shut. Why? Because I'm hangry. And if I say something, it ain't going to be good. Stressed. You can be in a stressful mood. It'll lead to more smoking, overeating, and excessive drinking. Here's, here's the one on happy, man. This one, this, one, this one took me by surprise. I'm not going to lie to you. A couple years ago, I realized I would mess up after I was happy. I would get in a happy mood. It's like, whoo, man, it was a good day. Like you have a good Friday. Come on, somebody, you had a good week. Man, you knocked everything out the park. You feeling good about yourself. Come Friday, right? You know I mean, like you've been eating good, working good, petting the dog, didn't kick the cat. Everybody likes you. It's Friday. It all feels good, right? And then this old thing comes up in me like Friday night, baby. It's time to party. And I'll wreck it in an hour. Because I realized I started wanting to reward myself. <laughs> I don't have enough people rewarding me, I guess, so I needed to reward myself. It was the craziest thing. When I realized what I was doing, I was like, what the heck is this? You don't learn that unless you start paying attention to yourself a little bit. <laughs> we got to realize that these moods cause us to respond certain ways and we need to safeguard ourselves from them and then the fourth trigger is people this one here is a big one and i think it's easy to be a big one because we like to blame other people but the other ones are equally important people first corinthians fifteen thirty three says do not be fooled bad friends will ruin good habits man isn't that true Studies have proven the closer you are to someone, more, the more likely you are to have the same habits as the people you're closest to. Have you ever seen that in your life? I asked a guy, this backfired on me one time. I asked a guy to help me get in shape. The guy was coming to our church. He was like ripped up, swole up, looked good. I mean, I wasn't 
he was a good-looking guy. And I was like, well, he's good at what he does. I called him. I said, hey, bro. I said, man, look, I need to get back in the gym. I need to get back in shape. You seem to be pretty good at that. You help me out? I said, if I come join the gym with you, you know, you help me out? And he got real nervous. Well, well, look here, Pastor. Uh, uh, listen, listen. Uh, um, I don't know if I can do that, but let me, let me tell you what to do. And I'm, I'm going, what's this? I'm asking for help. He said, look, look, look. Simple, simple, Pastor. Just do this. Eat protein in the morning and protein at night. Going to take care of everything. I'm like, what? This dude just turned me down. I'm like, I'm asking for help, and he turned me down. And I realized he didn't want to hang around with big old me because I might be a bad influence on him. He flipped the switch. I don't think that's what it was, but it felt like it at the time. I'm like, bro, I'm asking for help. You're telling me to eat protein? So I've been eating like eggs in the morning and peanut butter at night. I'm like, it ain't working. Just want some help. The people in our lives affect us. Watch what Proverbs says. If you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Watch this. My five closest friends, they love God. They're faithful to serve in their church. They love their wives. They love their kids. They're generous. And they're successful in what they do. My five closest friends. How easy is it for me to be successful if my five closest friends are successful? Would you agree with that? Isn't that awesome? I'm going to surround myself with folks that love God, love their wives, love their children, are successful, they're generous, and they're growing in Christ. Why? Because I need the same thing. If that's true, then the opposite is true. If my five closest friends were addicted to something and played video games all day, how would that affect my life? <laughs> Shake your head, do something. Let me, if you're not getting it, say... Right? Who are you surrounding yourself with? You got an issue complaining? Look at your friends. <laughs> they might be complainers. If they're not, then you need to look at yourself. <laughs> you might be the complainer. Just saying. It's almost impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. So what do we do, Pastor? Four triggers. Place, time, moods, people. They're all important. What do we do? I think we need to replace our habits. We need to replace them. The reason I use the word replace is because habits aren't erased, they're replaced. You replace them. So let me give you two quick points and then I'll wrap this up. Number one. If you let Jesus change your heart, he'll change your habits. Religion wants you to focus on changing your behavior. Religion is like bad. No, no, don't do that. And they want to change your behavior. Jesus didn't die to change your behavior. Jesus died to make you alive and change your heart 
amen, and to give you a new life. Jesus is in the heart business before he's in the habit business. Come on, changing behavior only works for a little while, but when you change somebody's heart, they continue to grow and grow and grow. What is God after? He's after your heart. That's why anybody's welcome at this church. Anybody's welcome at this church. We don't judge you coming in the door. And we've had some interesting people come in the door that that would have been easy to judge. But we're not in the habit-changing business. We're in the heart-changing business. We're, we're, we're conspiring with God. We're, we're joining in with God and helping people change their hearts, not just their behaviors. You follow me? Because God knows because he's the one that created and designed you that if he can change your heart, your behaviors and your patterns are going to change thereafter. Is this making sense? He's in the heart business. He wants to change your heart. Listen to how Paul wraps up this little rant and rave we started with. He says this. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. I'm thinking, man, this is Paul saying this. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul's confessing to us. What a miserable person I am. Come on, you know how you're feeling on the inside. You know the real you, amen? You know the real you, the one that's got, I'm I'm trying to fix my behaviors, but it's not working, and something's just not working. Paul says, what a miserable person I am. I'm dominated by sin and death. It's dominating my life. Who will free me from this, he asked the question. And he gives the answer. Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow. It's in Jesus. But you know what's funny is that as Christians, we can even take that wrong. (laughs) We can take we can take this portion wrong. Let me just for a minute. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can take that and run it the wrong way. We'll think that just because I say that, it becomes that. And then we become hyper-religious with all these spiritual quotations of, oh, praise the Lord, I'm blessed and highly flavored. Flavored. (laughs) Not favored, I'm flavored. And I get the whole positive confession. I get the whole, I need to say the right things. I get that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the thing that that keeps you from being real with Jesus. Because listen to me, the thing that every one of us needs today is to be in a real relationship with Jesus. The answer to your problem is to push your religion out the way, push your own wisdom out the way, and get into a deep relationship with Jesus. That's the answer to your problem. That's the solution. You don't claim that you have a relationship with Jesus. You don't fake it till you make it. You get real with Jesus and you stay real with Jesus and you let Jesus get real with you. All right, let me show it to you. Everything flows out of your relationship with Jesus. Say that with me. Say everything. It flows out of your relationship with Jesus. How my relationship with Jesus is determines how my relationship with everything else is in my life. Agree, disagree. 
Everything flows out of my relationship with Jesus. What do I do, pastor? Fall in love with Jesus. But you can even take that wrong. You see it? I want to fall in love with Jesus and walk out of here and not have a clue. Fall in love with Jesus. What you doing? Falling in love with Jesus. Why are you doing the same thing? I don't know. I'm falling in love with Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't want you to learn how to be religious. Watch this verse in John chapter 14. Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. That can be taken a hundred different ways. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Well, it first starts with, if you love me. Then he says, comma, you will obey what I command, right? If you love me, you will do what I say. I'll make it simple. If you love me, you will do what I, you will do what I say if you love me. It depends on how you hear in this verse this morning. But the, the genuine fact is, is that Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will do what I say. How do I love Jesus? Well, doing what he says. Yeah, that's true, but that's not all the truth. I love Jesus more when I realize how much he loves me. The more I realize how much God cares for me before he cares about what I do, the more I realize how much God is faithful in my life, the more I realize how much he's brought me out of, the more I realize how much he protects me in the present and provides for me in the future, the more I realize he really loves me. It doesn't stay here. It gets into here. And then something inside of me says, you know what? This crazy, this crazy love that God has for me is messing me up. It's making me do something I don't really want to do. It's making sense. We don't love God because we have to. We love God because we want to. You don't want your spouse to love you because y'all did a wedding together. You want them to love you because they want to love you, right? That's the most genuine form of love is that I want to love you, not have to love you. Jesus wants us to love him. But in order to love him, I need to first realize how much he loves me. And then out of realizing how much he loves me flows my love back to him. So watch this. If you love me, you will do what I say. I hear that different now. That sounds different to me. It doesn't sound like a conditional thing like, well, if you love me, you'll do what I say, like your mama's trying to hold something against you. You know, if you love me, you'll take out the garbage. It don't sound like that anymore. It sounds like, you know what, if I love him, then the doing part's going to be easy. The doing part's going to come natural. Come on. You know your kids really love you when they just clean up their room. And, they, and you don't tell them. I want to. That's, that's what my have to changes to want to. When my have to changes to want to, then I do. Come on, is this making sense? Have I lost you? No? Okay. 
Let Jesus change your heart, and then he'll change your habits. You've got to understand something. God loved you before you were you. He loved you before you were you. Before you had a name, before you had a breath, he loved you. And how you understand God's love for you shapes your identity in him. It shapes your identity. Which leads me to the second point. Based on who, now I do. Based on who I am, now I do what he wants. My identity informs my activity. Come on. If I think God's making me try to earn it, then my identity is, is I'm a person that has to earn it. I got to be good for him to love me good, if that's the way I understand his love. But if I understand it in the purest form, that he gave his son for me before I was ever me, to make a way for me where there was no way, and that he determined before how much he loved me, no matter what I did, no matter what I did, or didn't do, it's not based on that, it's based on who I am in him. When I understand who I am in Christ, it changes everything. Come on, you got to hear this this morning. It changes everything. He doesn't look at you as a kuyon. He looks at you as a son or a daughter. His son or daughter. God, this is so big, so big. I got to understand how much he loves me. I got to experience it. I got to walk in it. Come on. I had a moment this week. I, I, just, I just had one of these moments where I realized some things from my past. And, I just, and it was just a moment where God, God spoke some truth into my life. And, and I was just like, golly, Lord, that's so good. And I'm driving to my truck and I'm going, Lord, I can't even... I don't even earn this. I'm not even worthy of this, Lord. You, you love me. I wasn't even asking for this and you gave it to me. I mean, it's like you knew what I needed. It's an experiential knowledge of his love. Come on. Come on, it's, it's more than the head. You might, you might need to get in the head first before it gets here to some degree, but you gotta experience it. And when you experience it, you'll do anything he asks you to do. In all honesty, the doing part is not the big issue. The issue is the whoing part. Who are you? I'm going to give you three verses, three different verses, three different portions of Scripture, and real quick, we're going to pull out your identity just in three verses. And by the way, this is just a drop in the bucket of what God says about you. Ready? Ready? Okay. (laughs) Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Three things you can pull out of that verse real quick. Number one, I belong to Jesus. Number two, I am alive. Number three, I am free. Quick Bible study. Come on, y'all. You had, a, you had a, a sermon and a Bible study all in one stop. Second verse, Galatians 5.1 from the Passion Translation. 
Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free. Not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Two points out of that one verse right there. I am completely free, not partially free. I'm not 90% free. When Jesus says you're free, Meshach, you're free. When he breaks the power of something over your life, he breaks it completely. I am completely free. Second thing you pull out of that verse, watch this, super incredible. I don't have to go back. I'm not obligated to go back. Come on, when Jesus set me free from pot, I don't have to go back. When he set me free from alcohol, I don't have to go back. And I don't want to go back. You know why? Because if he had to deliver me from it, then I don't need to return to it. Amen? He set me completely free, and I don't have to go back. It has no more chains on me. There's no more contract between me and sin. Come on, I'm not going to get late penalties. (laughs) You seeing it? I don't have to go back. Third verse. Ephesians 4, 22 to 23 says this, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. You know what this says? I have new thoughts. Let the spirit Renew you. Come on, somebody. You need this. I can have new thoughts. I don't have to think like the old Jamie, which would cause me to respond like the old Jamie. I have new thoughts. Then it says this. I can have a new attitude. You're not excited. You must like your current attitude. I can have a new attitude about things. When disaster comes, I don't have to freak out. When people offend me, I don't have to fire back. I can think differently. It causes you to start thinking this current struggle I'm going through is not my final destination. It is not my identity. I'm not a failure my whole life. I have been renewed, born again, set my feet on a rock. I'm in that kind of a relationship with God. I'm not my failures. I'm not this. I'm somebody new. It changes my thinking. And then it changes my attitude. I mean, if you would say my attitude could use a little changing. That all flows out of your relationship with God. Why do I push you to read your Bible? Because there's words of life in here. This helps to shape my identity. 
if I don't let it shape my identity and lead me into a deeper relationship with God to where I can experience his love and then have this experience with his love that shapes my identity, then I'm just believing whatever my parents told me. I'm believing whatever people said about me. I'm believing what the enemy's whispering to me. I'm not even living to my full potential because I'm not even the real me. I'm somebody I'm not even supposed to be. Why do we push you to get into life groups? Because you need to get around some folks that will speak some life into you. Because sometimes you ain't good at speaking it into yourself. <laughs> God loves me so much that he let me belong to Jesus. He made me alive. He set me free, completely free. I don't have to go back to that stuff anymore. He gives me new thoughts and new attitudes. That in itself should describe to you how much God loves you. It should already be shaping your identity this morning when you realize that. Amen?